1: and welcome back to Medsworld. I'm your host, Mads, and I hope you've been enjoying the show so far. If you have, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast as it's the simplest way to help out the show. Or find me on social media and tell your friends about it. This episode of Mads World is sponsored by Luvis and their luxury water-based lubricants. I'm so excited to be partnering with them, not only because they're UK-based, but because they were also featured in Red magazine as one of the top 15 intimate moisturisers. I love that the design is super subtle, classy, and aesthetic. Which all stems from their desire to create a luxury intimate product that can be displayed alongside other body products and interior accessories. At Luvis, they believe intimate pleasure isn't just for the sexually confident. They make products that encourage everyone to discover the wonders of their own body. Even those of us who don't want to shout about it from the rooftops. With a lush blend of chamomile, green tea and aloe vera to nourish and hydrate the intimate area. Luvis is also free from fragrance, glycerin, parabens and known Skin irritants. It also doesn't have that gross, sticky texture that some lubes have. Check out Louvis at the link in my bio and use the code MADS20 for 20% off on their website on your first purchase. This week, I'm joined by multi-award-winning content creator, host, author, and body image advocate, Stephanie Yeboah. With a blog spanning over 14 years, Stephanie has been an active and influential presence within the creative space, writing and creating content surrounding a variety of subjects, including plus-size fashion, beauty and skincare, travel and lifestyle, as well as providing witty, raw takes and perspectives on all things to do with pop culture. She also dedicates her time towards advocacy within the body acceptance, mental health and self-love communities, sharing her own challenges and traumas involving experiencing fat phobia, bullying, self-esteem and confidence issues, and the ways in which she's been able to turn it around while encouraging others to do the same. In 2020, she released her debut non-fiction novel, Fatally Ever After, a fat black girl's guide to living life unapologetically, which became an Amazon bestseller in its first week of publication. In the same year, she became the first British plus size black woman to grace the cover of Glamour magazine UK. Stephanie has appeared on Sky News, BBC Radio 4, ITV News, MTV UK, and Good Morning Britain, just to name a few, as well as a plethora of podcasts. Stephanie currently has an active social media presence with over 350,000 followers across her social media accounts worldwide. In this episode, we discuss Steph's journey towards self-acceptance, the role mental health plays, maintaining mental well-being, inclusivity and acceptance for diverse populations, the influence of social media and advertising industries, plus size fashion and radical fat acceptance.
2: Hello, Steph. Hello. How are you? I am doing well, thank you. I'm doing really well. How are you?
1: I'm really good this morning, thank you. I've just had a little coffee. I'm feeling like super buzzed to be chatting to you because as I was saying, I'm a huge fan of yours, so it's really exciting.
2: Oh, amazing. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really looking forward to it. It should be really good.
1: Let's jump into our speed date question round so everyone listening can learn a bit more about you. Mm -hmm. So my first question is, can you tell me about your journey as a content creator and how this began and how it's changed over time and evolved?
2: Yeah, sure. So I started, um, gosh, this is years ago now. (laughs) 2008 was when I started my first blog, which was on Um, (laughs) (laughs) blogger.com. Way back in the archives. Yeah. Uh, I started, so I was at university. Um, I was in my second year and I was studying law. Um, It's kind of sort of against my will. My parents you know immigrant parents wanted their daughter yeah. to be an academic and you know all that but the story of that and i was like a creative at heart and so when i was studying you when i was studying law i needed a creative outlet and so I started the blog and this was during a time when there was virtually there weren't really a lot of people blogging at the time it was like Zoella and then like a couple of people here and there so yeah. it was sort of like bare bones beginning um and I started doing a lot of stuff on like lifestyle and a lot of uh, comic books um, sci-fi video games because I was a huge nerd so my <laughs> my blog at the time was called nerd about town
1: that's you are your gmail is nerd about town yeah love I just, w-
2: yeah when I changed it to my to my name I just couldn't be I couldn't bear to part with the emails I it's was like, so I'm gonna, random I love it <laughs> I'm gonna keep it thank you yeah. um and so I was talking a lot about that because I'd always had a huge love of fashion um style but at the time when it came to plus size fashion there was virtually nothing for us Um, the mainstream stores weren't creating plus size clothing and the plus size um stores that were the outfits were quite dowdy and matronly and just very old and you know as a young adult I wanted clothes that I could wear you know the same as my peers and and I was also going through some really bad um issues with self-confidence, self-love. Um, I was, I had a lot of self-hatred in me that had kind of stemmed from a child in terms of how I was received because of my looks. And so, um, after a few years, after I graduated, um, I was writing a lot more on my blog as I was working full-time and it got to a point where I made the decision to start writing my musings and my thoughts on self-confidence and self-love because it had gotten to the point where I'd I'd sort of like grown up just having a host of sort of eating disorders and really Mm -hmm. terrible dating experiences and just struggling with my body and Mm -hmm. um I started writing about that very frankly on the blog Mm -hmm. and it was also around the time 2014 when ASOS um release their plus size range Ah. uh, which was monumental at the time it was like a huge thing they were like one of the first straight size brands to actually create a curve range and so I was like okay this is my moment I'm gonna start (laughs) doing fashion on the blog and so that was kind of when I started properly doing a lot of style and, and sort of the lifestyle and fashion bits but also bringing it back to the sentiments of self-love sort of um trying to increase my self-esteem linking fashion to self-esteem and all of that kind of stuff and I slowly began to to build an audience around that and um yeah kind of one thing led to another I just was continuing to be really consistent Mm -hmm. and creating content both on my blog and on Instagram and self-shooting a lot of my things and um yeah now we're here kind of yeah now we're here.
1: And how did this ladder up to your book fatally ever after as well? I'd love if you could tell our listeners a bit about the themes in that and how you sort of got the idea to write that,
2: yeah, sure. so being in the at the time the body positivity community, it was something that sort of between 2014 and 2017 it was something that I was really happy to be a part of because it was part of the reason why I was able to sort of increase my confidence and learn how to love myself. However what I noticed and what a lot of us noticed in the communities especially um, in the UK and the US was as the rise of plus size influencers became a thing and the body positive community as it started to get a lot more exposure and visibility a lot of us noticed that it was only a certain type of body type that was being showcased and being featured and considering the history of the body positive community and how it for the most part stems from the work of uh, plus size black women specifically in the US it felt like we were being erased so we Every time I would sort of open a magazine or see an article on body positivity, it always featured um, sort of mid-sized, white, very conventionally attractive women um, talking about their struggles and talking about, you know, their their rise to confidence and things. And it left out the perspectives and the thoughts and the feelings of people whose bodies are... Um, more oppressed. Um, so I'm talking like larger fat women, disabled women, black women, women of color. Like these are the perspectives that we weren't hearing about with this, with this rise of body positivity. And it was really important to me, to hear the perspectives of women of colour when it comes to this um, community because we were the ones that helped get it to where it was. So to be so kind of viciously erased from the movement um, didn't sit well with me at all. So I had the idea to write a book that not only um, talked about my experiences growing up as a dark-skinned black plus-size woman in the UK, but I also wanted to include the experiences of other Um, larger plus size women and um, black plus size women around the world. So the book is kind of set out into different sections. So we've got things like dating, mental health, the media um, and how we're portrayed in the media, um, dating, like all of those kinds of different sections. So in each section, it's got sort of the academic text behind it, um, like the history of fat phobia and all of these kinds of things. And then it's got my experience of that specific section, And then we've got um, the experiences of women that I'd interviewed.
1: I can't wait to read it. It sounds fantastic. And it's so on brand for this podcast as well. I've had so many guests that love chatting about those themes. And I'm really looking forward to chatting to you a bit more about that um, later on. My next question for this round was, what is your favorite most recent pop culture moment or trend?
2: My favorite pop culture moment um, recently yeah. has been the rise of Pedro Pascal. I'm sorry, oh. I love that man. <laughs> and I'm one of those people where I'm like, where were you when he was in Narcos? And where were you guys when he was in Game of Thrones? Like, I have loved him for like seven years. And gatekeeping
1: so, him, like you're like, I'm, he's a- mine.
2: Absolutely. And I'm just like, I'm so happy that he's now getting his flowers and... Yeah you know, the whole daddy thing, it was starting to get a bit creepy. I was starting to feel a bit sorry for him because it seemed like it was happening all the time, but Mm -hmm. he's just, oh, he's just so great. He's He's just, I love him. And
1: he's such a like good example of like a non-creepy, inclusive, hot guy that is just like, and I feel like he wants to give a voice to so many people as well. Like he's very, Mm -hmm. I hate the word woke, But he is a very woke guy, and I feel like him working alongside who was his co-star in The Last of Us. Um, They're non-binary. But, um, yeah, he's such a good support for them, and it's just it's so amazing to see. And I just feel like he really embodies everything that I want older white men to be.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. He's Uh, just great, and he's just so hot, and he's just so, like, he just seems so cool and down-to-earth and fun and... Yeah, I love him.
1: Absolutely amazing. And my next question is, what is your greatest achievement?
2: My greatest achievement, I think... um it's maybe two so one of them is Mm -hmm. definitely the book because I never thought in my lifetime that I would ever write a book um so that was a really cool thing for me um I was I'm really really proud of it and then I think generally just the second one is getting to a point where I could say that I love myself and I love my body um because growing up I had a host of uh just loads of issues and I never mm. thought I would ever get to a place where I could say that I'm actually happy in the body and the skin that I'm in. Um, I'm somebody that suffers from depression as well so mm. I just I could never see that far ahead into the future where I would ever say actually do you know what I'm okay looking the way I do and you know it's taken so many years to get to this point and I'm I'm really proud of everything that I've kind of accomplished with regards to doing the work to become more confident in my skin and Mm -hmm. to become more um self-assured
1: and that's such a good self-achievement as well because I feel like your opinion of yourself and the way that you feel in your own body and in your own skin just ladders up to every other success that you're going to have in life as well because Mm -hmm. that allows you to put yourself out there and achieve more and be striving for more just because you you have that belief in yourself I think that's so cool and so important
2: oh thank you so much my next question Um. Oh, least favorite dating modern dating trend.
1: It's a tough one because there's so much toxicity in modern dating. It's hard to
2: choose. Yeah, and I've also (laughs) I've been out of the game for like a year and a half now, so I don't even know what the babes are doing in terms of um, (laughs) in terms of that kind of thing. But I guess do you know what I don't like breadcrumbing? Oh yeah. Oh, I find that so annoying. Where it's like they just kind of leave just enough for you to kind of cling on, but they Mm -hmm. really don't actually want to they don't want anything to do with you, but they there's that arrogant sort of self-obsessed part of them that still wants you to kind of, be following them. So they leave you little trails here and there, like little oh. bits of affection for you to hang on. It's so manipulative.
1: And it's like you finally move on from that person and it's not even moving on <clears throat> like you had feelings for them. It's like I was actually reading in – um, it was Bell Hooks' All About Love and there's mm-hmm. this term in there where she talks about this concept of cathaxis and it honestly opened my eyes so much. So cathaxis is like um, someone or something that is just – it's all consuming. You put all your mental energy into it and people confuse it all the time with love and like feelings of affection. Mm. And that's what, um, she says in a lot of abusive relationships, people think that love and abuse can coexist where actually it's more like abuse and cathaxis, where it's like, you're obsessed with someone, your life revolves around them. You're putting a lot of your time and energy into them, but it's not actually love. It's more just like a, an ongoing connection that you can't move on from because she says that in, in, in life, abuse and love can't coexist because they're completely opposite. It's so fascinating.
2: Mm. Oh, I, do you know what? I, that is one, I'm so ashamed to admit, that is one book I still haven't gotten around to reading. It's very tough to read. It took me forever. It's really <laughs> yeah. in t- tough in terms of like, just how she writes or emotionally how it makes you feel
1: um a bit of both but the writing of it is just very like I found myself reading the same sentence again and again because like I want to like absorb it and understand it rather than just read it and move on and not actually interpret it for what it is if you know what I mean so it just Mm -hmm. took took forever but really worth reading definitely
2: yeah I think I'll have to read it because I I've had such a complicated relationship with love and I think that's why I've been so resistant to read it because I'm just like I just want to stay in my ignorant bubble over (laughs) here I don't I don't want to be dragged today Belle no (laughs) (laughs) not today Oh,
1: I love it. And my last question for this round is, what's the funniest DM that you've ever received? Because I love asking people with lots of followers this because you must just get some of the most cursed things coming into your DMs.
2: Oh my gosh. So, <laughs> one that I can think of off the bat was mm. um So, in like African communities, we have like this really annoying thing where we've got like the uncles not like physical like you know yeah. our real life uncles but it's just like a brand of older man yeah who's really creepy towards younger girls yeah. you know they dress in like double denim suits and no. slippers it's just very cringy so we're, like, <laughs> we call them like uncles they're always like cruising for younger girls it's, and okay. they're like balding and they, they, they're they just yeah so i I tend to get a lot of messages from those kinds of uncles, and I remember one guy. Uh, he must have been about like fifty-five, oh, god. and he commented. It was one of those DMs where he he quoted my picture in the feed, and then he kind of sent me my own picture back, oh, god. and then he quoted saying, "Oh, um, in this picture you're, you're looking really succulent." Oh my and god! And I was just like <laughs> that. So, like like i'm some kind of like, like a pig peach. on a like a pig on a spit like i was just like <laughs> succulent what does that a even mean and i was just like this is the most random dm i've never been called succulent before and i i actually wasn't sure whether to like be offended or actually be like impressed because I was like oh like stand out come on thesaurus like okay succulent (laughs) like
1: a succulent juicy peach like a succulent like juicy pig on a spit
2: yeah and I was just like (laughs) I, I I'm so shocked by this but also I'm like okay good like okay fair, fair, fair enough but... I wonder if that's worked for him in
1: the past and now he's like I'm just gonna say succulent at all yeah. times yeah
2: and I'm just like that's that's a cool uh, adjective to use so then I started <laughs> like for a time I started describing everything as succulent because I Amazing. was like we need to use that word more often like I just love it it really <laughs> so impacted your life <laughs> it really did there are so many random words that impact my life so I'm just like okay Let's
1: that's that's it.
2: that's the word of the of the year <sighs>
1: That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for doing the speed date question round. It's always so much fun. And I'm really looking forward to chatting more about the themes in your book. So we touched on this briefly before um, when you were chatting about how you came up with the concept for Fadily Ever After. And I wanted to chat with you first up about mental health and in your journey towards self acceptance, which, um, from what I understand, you chat about in the book, which I haven't actually read yet, disclaimer, but I'm really looking forward to reading. Um, how has mental health played a role for you, and what strategies or practices have helped you in maintaining mental well being?
2: It's so the journey to self love, especially when you have a mental health. Um, Condition is it just adds on an extra layer of fuckery, <laughs> it really yeah. does because it's so easy to revert back to the way you used to be, um, especially when you have relapses. And so, when I was fourteen, I was diagnosed with depression because of all of the stuff that I was going through and trauma and bullying and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and then I also have um, DID, which is dissociative identity disorder. Oh wow, um, and that really do you know what it didn't actually impact my mental health as as much as the depression did because at least with the did for the most part i'm not even aware when it's happening so mm-hmm. a lot of the time i i'm not really internalizing or thinking about it but mm-hmm. with depression it was a very tough journey trying to come up with the tools to be able to learn how to love myself because yeah. i had that little voice in the back of my head that was like you're not good enough mm-hmm. you don't deserve to be here you're not thin enough you're not light enough um you know lie down over here and just be catatonic don't move don't you know don't do that kind of stuff and so i think the the main tools that helped me with that was was and it's something that i advocate everybody do regardless of if you are going through something or not is therapy um having um different kinds of talking therapies really really helped me because I think at the time I felt so one of the main reasons why I felt so low in myself was because I just felt unheard um I didn't feel seen I didn't feel like anybody could relate to what I was going through I was very introverted I didn't have a lot of friends uh, my family being African as well mental health is something that isn't spoken about it's still seen as taboo so I literally had n- like nowhere to turn to I'm nobody so to sorry. speak to oh it's so good it's all mm. part of the of the growth journey part <laughs> of, of the, the journey, journey. <laughs> yeah. It is. yeah and yeah. so I would keep things inside for very long amounts of time. And I just Mm -hmm. felt like I I was going to burst, you know, full of all of this negativity and actually um, starting cognitive behavioral therapy was something that was just so like, just the mere fact that I could go somewhere and this person was like, tell me how you feel was, was life changing for me because up until then I felt like nobody cared or wanted to know how I'd felt. Um, I remember uh when I was at the the really bad parts of my bullying in school, and I decided to tell my dad um or speak to my dad and say, You know this is what's been going on for the last four years um I've been getting bullied, and you know I'll always remember this as long as I live. He said, Well, if you weren't so fat, then you wouldn't be getting bullied and oh, that re- as a child that that stayed with me for yes. years and years and years, and so i Blamed myself for being bullied. I blamed myself for being mm-hmm. ostracized and for my body being policed. I, I didn't see the problem as other people. I saw the problem with myself. And, you know, if you have somebody that is supposed to be a, a caretaker and somebody that's supposed to look after you, mm-hmm. essentially blaming you for your own abuse and your own trauma, mm-hmm. it really stays with you for a long time. And so being able to speak about that with with somebody, um, was Mm life-changing and I think that's kind of what led me to start writing my blog because I thought well I can kind of find comfort in strangers (laughs) as opposed to people that actually know me because it felt like nobody really wanted to listen. So Mm -hmm. um, combining therapy with taking antidepressants as well um, was something that really really worked for me Um, and also it's difficult but learning how to cut off people that don't serve you mm-hmm. even if that means family members really? and I don't even mean cut off in a sense of we're never speaking again you are mm-hmm. no longer a part of my life but it mm-hmm. could be things like emotionally knowing that there are certain family members that I can't go to emotionally um, if I needed to talk that kind of cutting off so I found a family of sorts in friendships and yeah. you know, friendships that I've made online, friendships that I've made in person, you know, they are kind of like my family now. Um, and yeah it's it's a difficult road when you have to incorporate mental health um, conditions into that path of becoming better and it it can be done it it just it just takes an extra ounce of strength and support 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 from friends family strangers professionals is so important to keep you on track
1: yeah and in in saying all of that, you touched on some really interesting points. So how can we ensure that mental health conversations are inclusive and they address the specific needs of a diverse population? Because as you said, there's so many factors that can influence the help that people are getting or even the help that they feel that they deserve, that they should receive. How do you think we can shape these conversations to be more inclusive?
2: I think what needs to happen is that mental health needs to be decolonized. Um, and it's weird to speak about it in that way, in that even when it comes to mental health, there is still a standard of beauty in that realm, which is wild. Um, when we think about things such as bulimia, anorexia, eating disorders, we always think of a slim white woman or a very slim, you know, very skinny white woman. People are unaware yeah, that yeah. black people, black people can suffer from eating disorders. People are unaware that fat people can suffer from eating disorders. Yeah. Um, these things are all true. But because we don't see it when we when we look at campaigns or documentaries or, you know, um wellness trips or whatever the case may be we're not seeing ourselves represented in those areas so people assume that they just don't happen in our communities when they do um when it comes to mental health you know I think it's black women are the most um were more likely to be locked up Um, against our will or put put on a hold um, because we let the mental illness fester for so long until it gets to the point where we break. Because again, even in our own communities, we just don't talk about it. And I think we're getting better in terms of our generation. So in terms of like millennials and Gen Z and with the introduction of things like TikTok and Instagram and stuff, I think the younger kids are becoming a lot um more adept at being able to talk about this. Mm-hmm. But I think there needs to be so much work done in our community So in the Afro-Caribbean community, where we have to now teach our parents about mental health and we have to kind of educate them on how important it is for us to be able to to be able to share um how we feel. Um I remember when I was younger, I used to get a lot of um I used to suffer really badly from sleep paralysis. Oh, really? Um, so yeah. bad.
1: I've had it only twice in my life, and it is honestly—it's horror. It's horrendous, it's
2: horrendous. And because it was so tied in with my depression as well, I would get it every day. Like for about oh, six God. months, I got it all the time. Yeah. My mum thought that I was possessed by the devil. Oh God. Um. So I was telling her, look, I'm going to sleep. At the time, I didn't know what it was, so I was like, I'm going to sleep, and there's something on my chest, and I'm seeing really weird shadows, and I can't move. And she was mm-hmm. like yeah you're, you're you're possessed you've got that's an a evil devil. spirit that's the devil yeah. so she got a pastor to come to my house oh, no! to spray each room with holy water oh, and God. it was <laughs> and i was sitting there on the stairs looking at her like really this is like something out kind of insidious like what the? Uh- hell? <laughs> <laughs> this is not this is not bloody like an annabelle movie like uh- it's, <laughs> i'm sure this is something scientific <laughs> yes. there's a scientific explanation for this and um yeah eventually when I when I came across sleep paralysis and told my doctor he was like yeah you that's something that you have mm-hmm. and so it's even little things like that where experiencing those kinds of things and being able to speak to our parents and being like look I'm not like quote-unquote crazy like we need to stop using that word it's not this it's not that it's I have feelings and they deserve to be expressed. So I think within our own communities within the Afro Caribbean community we have we still have a lot of work to do to educate our parents on why it's important to talk about mental health.
0: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?
2: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And then from a general point of view, I just think we need to have more um, communities and charities that are open to hearing from the perspectives of people that aren't necessarily like thin or white or conventionally attractive or Mm. male or whatever the case Mm. may be. Um, There's, there's a lot of work to be done and I think having having conversations like this, where we can talk about the fact that yes, fat people can, you know, um, suffer from eating disorders, but Mm -hmm. it just goes unseen because people see the fat and they're like, oh, she's doing good for herself. Not knowing that we're starving ourselves. Um, talking about things like, uh, body image issues within the black community. So people tend to assume that in the black community, we don't have issues with body image because our standard of beauty is curves and everything like curvy bodies and hourglass shapes. But then on the flip side of that, that is an unattainable body shape to have even in our community. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's more common for us to have that body shape, but then there are loads of us that aren't shaped like that, Mm -hmm. um, who are either too big or too small. And we're trying to live up to the ideal hourglass body shape as well and Mm -hmm. doing terrible things to try and achieve that body shape. And so I think it's important for us to just be really open to the idea that look, everybody is going through stuff, not just a certain demographic.
1: Yeah, and I suppose that um, the the ensuring that mental health conversations are inclusive across different demographics, it's kind of the same for body acceptance. And would you say that there is a different way to approach body accepta- acceptance, encompassing people of all backgrounds and experiences? Would you say that it's it is about listening to people that are going through those things and having those open discussions, or do you think there's more to it um, alongside the mental health discussions?
2: I think it's definitely about listening to those perspectives and being open to to hearing what they have to say. I think when it comes to body image, it is so, it's a very thin line because it can be very personal. And you don't want to invalidate someone's experience of how they view their own bodies. And I think that's where it can get really tricky because body image is so, such a sensitive subject for so Mm. many people. And you want to ensure that everybody gets their voices heard but equally it's also important to recognize or to realize that there are going to be bodies that are a lot more oppressed than someone else's mm-hmm. now that doesn't invalidate the feelings that they feel in their body so you can be like a size 10 very fit but mm-hmm. also but have you can have issues with your body it doesn't invalidate how you feel but it's also important to recognize that look the way you navigate through the world is not the way this person navigates through the world. So when somebody is talking about their experiences of fat phobia or whatever the case may be, it's important to not center yourself in that person's experiences. Um, And if you can, it's important to kind of try and highlight or amplify that person's voice because unfortunately when when it does come to body image, it just feels like a lot of the time people only want to hear or uh, they're only receptive to what we're saying through the lens of somebody that's more privileged. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I could talk about how annoying it is that, uh, slow fashion or sustainable fashion, ethical fashion—they don't mm-hmm. really do plus sizes. Yeah. I could speak about that till I'm blue in the face, but it's only until a slimmer person retweets me mm-hmm. or re-reposts my thing, then brands start paying attention because they're seeing they—they're more—they're more likely to hear it from somebody that looks like them as opposed to somebody that looks um, different, um, and so it's just about. Yeah, not centering yourself in other people's experiences and also amplifying the messages of the most oppressed to the, to the masses.
1: Mm-hmm. And what are some good ways that people can challenge our own internal biases and encourage others to do the same? Because I feel like over the part, especially living in London, coming from Melbourne, moving to London, meeting more people of diverse backgrounds, I've I've done a lot. Especially in COVID as well, I feel like I was having a lot of conversations with people. Like I think maybe it was because it wasn't face to face. People felt a lot more comfortable to share and be honest about things and because we were being honest about our mental health and how scared we all were it was Mm -hmm. it opened up a lot of doors for those conversations so I've had to do a lot of um challenging my own internal biases even before when you were saying about you know when when you imagine and this might just be like you were saying centering myself um When thinking about other people's experiences but when thinking about anorexia I do imagine a white woman and I don't know if that's because I'm white or if that's because all the images that I've seen when I learned about that in school of of white women but um, I'm getting off track but my question was how can we best challenge our internal biases and encourage others
2: i think it's become a lot more easier to do on and this it's a it's a it's very bittersweet but Mm. since everything happened in 2020 with george floyd and stuff i think people have become a lot more open about challenging biases um especially from a racial point of view um i am of the opinion that it just needs to be said now like no tiptoeing around it we can't pussyfoot around so to speak so if something is is happening to someone and you see it happening to just call it out there and then I find confronting the issue head-on to be the most effective way and of course you can say it in a way that you know doesn't come across as like aggressive or like super challenging but to kind of just let people know um where you stand, I think issuing boundaries is very important uh, when it comes to advocating for yourself as well, so for instance, you know if you're plus size and you 're around friends and they're talking about, "Oh, they feel so fat and you you can just be like, "Shut up." <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. it's like, first of all, fat is not a feeling. You cannot, like, I can't feel skinny, because I'm not skinny, or I'm not slim. So you don't feel fat, maybe use another word, maybe say you feel bloated, or you feel lethargic, or whatever the case may be. But yeah, so if you have a, a friend that constantly talks about how fat they feel or how, you know, they, they don't like the way they look because they're putting on weight. Like one thing that I like to say, which always tends to shut them up is, look, I get that the thought of looking like me disgusts you, but please don't um, constantly bring it up. to to me because you have friends that are fat and when you say stuff like this it makes us feel really horrible because you're reinforcing the fact that looking like me is disgusting and then they'll be like oh no but you're you're beautiful you're this you're that so then I'm like but if you think that I'm pretty or I'm attractive then why would you say such things about like having excess body fat and but to see like the kind of confusion in their eyes and then try them trying to like actually be like oh actually you're you're right um is always a really good thing so I think challenging people and issuing boundaries um in terms of how people speak around us is Mm. really important um When it comes to things like mental health, you know, if you have friends that flippantly use certain words that are, you know, not politically correct or outdated, Mm -hmm. to always just say, look, please don't, you know, please don't say that or please don't um, Mm -hmm. use terminology in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very... When it comes to things like mental health, mm-hmm. I'm I, it's such a fine line for me because you don't want to gatekeep mental health. That's the last thing you want to do. But there is a way of approaching it where, so for instance, because of my DID, so so dissociative identity disorder used to be called multiple personality m- multiple personality syndrome. Oh, okay, and they changed the meaning or they changed the the wording because it was multiple personality was just linked to it was just um. It was always linked to something negative. It was stigmatized, and so when I would have friends who would talk about, oh yeah, this person's crazy, like she's just got two, like two personalities in one, like she must be schizo, the schizo, and I'd be like please don't you're doing too <laughs> Just, much Stop. you're doing too much it's like you're <laughs> villainizing a mental health illness yeah. and you know the ways in which different mental health illnesses are portrayed in the media specifically I was going to say
1: this in movies as well even movies like Memento or movies like Identity like this and it's always yes. a horror movie it's never yes. a fun comedy movie or like a nice heartwarming drama it's always like a scary movie and the person
2: is a scary villain exactly oh my gosh exactly mm-hmm. and it's so frustrating so like you know when i would watch movies like shutter island yeah um, <laughs> um what is it joker even yeah. uh split you know these but, are movies yes. that deal with 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 dissociative identity disorder and just seeing how, I mean, I must admit with Joker, that -hmm. was the one movie where I was like, actually he does it very well. I know that there were a lot of controversies around the way that he portrayed it, but for some of us who do have that disorder, he actually did a really, really good job. Mm. So for that one, I'm a bit like, Mm, okay but it's still linked to you know him being a villain um and it's just annoying how mental health is just portrayed as this villainous kind of you know thing and so I think just calling things in so not even necessarily calling it out in an aggressive way but just saying look guys we need to update our terminology we need to update the way in which people see mental health illnesses the ways that people see fatness the ways that people see um you know, disabled people. Like we, we, it's important to really advocate for ourselves in that arena. So really being able to confront people, like being bold enough to confront someone and say, look, this is not okay. Um, can be confrontational at first, but if you don't do it, like people are not going to learn. So I find taking the direct approach, um, quite helpful.
1: And in saying all of this about challenging our friends and and everything you've just discussed, how can we navigate social media in a way that promotes body acceptance and mental well-being? Because obviously social media is now an extension of our offline life. So I think it used to be online, offline, and now it's sort of just a part of everything that we do and everything that we are. So what would you say in regards to navigating social media?
2: I think with social media, one thing that I really advocate for is curating, curation, curation, curation. Okay. If there is something that is making you feel horrible in yourself or is making you feel uneasy or Mm -hmm. is bringing up traumatic, triggering feelings, um, feelings of comparison, Mm. delete it, mute it, block it, don't have it in your In your eyeline. I I need to do this. I need
1: to do this.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I think when it comes to things like Instagram, Twitter, those kinds of things, you want, you want to be able to log on and just have a feeling of joy, have a feeling of seeing images, pieces of content, pieces of art that make you feel happy in yourself that make you feel happy in your body that make you feel seen and so I don't understand the uh, obsession with people going out of their way to follow um, brands and individuals that make them feel horrible in themselves like if you are somebody who still has issues with your body and all you've ever wanted is to be slim why would you follow you know the Gigi Hadid's of the world why would you why, why would you follow people that are making you feel so bitter and feel so horrible in yourself. Um, so for me, like really early on, I kind of made this, um, pledge to myself on my social media where I'm like I'm only really going to follow things that bring me joy so like outside of like friends and family and stuff but I follow loads of plus-size women loads of plus-size friendly brands um loads of just loads of different content from different communities especially a lot of oppressed communities and just seeing some of the beautiful artwork that can stem from these things, seeing the conversations that arise when we get together and we can talk about the things that affects, affect our different communities. Um, one thing that really helped me on my journey was constantly seeing women on my Instagram feed, like plus size women in bikinis, Mm -hmm. just living their best life. And because I would wake up every day and I would see these images every day Mm -hmm. in my head. Now it's normalized. It's normal for me to see plus size women in bikinis. So then for me, where I started wearing bikinis because it Love was like, well, it. this is this is normal for me. This is my everyday now because I'm always seeing plus size women in bikinis. So if they can do it, so can I. So for me, it was choosing and being intentional with the brands and the accounts that I follow online. Um, yes, at times it's good to live in a bubble where you have a lot of people. Um, whose thoughts and perspectives align with yours every now and again you can have like a contrarian on there where you can you know have someone who you may not necessarily agree with but you know it you get to kind of have a different perspective on an issue like those kinds of things I think it's good to have a couple of those people sprinkled in just so that you can kind of so you're not wrapped up in like too much in your bubble but for the most part in terms of looking after your mental health, looking after your emotional health um, is to just unfollow people that make you feel terrible in yourself, terrible in your body. Um, And to recognize that nearly everything is AI AI now. So if you see someone on Instagram who has the perfect body, best believe that person doesn't even look like the person in the photo like there are so many dangerous apps like facetune and face app and face this and body warping you know we have celebrities that constantly photoshop their bodies all the time and we have to really be attuned to knowing these signs as and when we see them um one great thing I think France did recently is that they've kind of banned that on Instagram or they've banned it on social media where it's like you're not allowed to digitally alter your body um and if you do you have to put a disclaimer this. yes
1: yeah. yeah and also like
2: I think they've got another thing where if you're doing like an advert or something you have to disclaim it otherwise you'll mm-hmm. like you'll be prosecuted which oh I God. think is so good yeah, France, uh, they don't mess about when it comes to like, you know, that kind of thing. So I think that is something that should kind of be displayed everywhere. The, the importance of disclaimers, the importance of parents talking to their kids about social media as well. Because unfortunately, you know, back in my day, when you would get bullied, <laughs> the bullying was, you know, once you go home, that was it. Mm. but now with bullying at school it's it follows you home via mm. social media mm-hmm. and it can be terrible and so I think mm-hmm. having social media literacy as a parent is very important I mm-hmm. think parents need to know what the new apps are how their kids are able to access the apps what the hashtags are like to so that they can speak to their kids and to have their kids be open to telling them stuff that's going on as well Mm -hmm. because a lot of people if they're feeling things they may not want to tell their parents or their friends or families they'll they'll probably just put it online um and so it's important to kind of have parents be um, educated on how to use these apps how to use the safeguarding tools on these apps as well So we've spoken about
1: um, taking control, so parents taking control, taking control of curating your feed yourself, and then the government having influences on things like regulating disclaimers. Mm -hmm. But how do you think that media or fashion or advertising industries and clients better represent diverse body types and challenge the existing beauty ideals? So I think that's the biggest, that's the hardest thing to shift the dial on, but what would you say in regards to those bigger companies that have the influence and are making the content? How can we, how can we sort of make a change there?
2: I think one of the first ways to make a change is to diversify who is taking control behind the scenes. And that has been a big thing for me. So if you have a casting agency, for instance, and they're casting models for, for an advert, Unfortunately, and and I used to before I started doing this full time. I used to work at um, an advertising agency and a PR agency. I
1: work at a media agency right now.
2: Oh, amazing! Yeah, yeah. and you know, I absolutely <laughs> loved it, but I was always yeah. the only black person there, and and I was the only fat person there, and it was one of those things where it was like if you are in control of what somebody sees on tv or in print Mm -hmm. and everybody around you is white and slim Mm. then naturally when you when it comes to casting you're only going to be casting people that look like you that who 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 is who shows up in your everyday as normal yeah um like
1: curating your feet what you say about curating what you you see every day yeah
2: exactly and so if you're only seeing slim white people around you naturally you're just going to Cast slim white people. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's so important for there to be diversity behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. We need to have, you know, people of all abilities body shapes and races and ethnicities being directors, casting directors, producers, um, booking agents, all mm-hmm. of these kinds of things. Um, back in the day, I used to work with this German plus size brand called Navarbi. Mm-hmm. And one of their, their social media coordinator was this amazing woman called Bethany Rutter, who is now an author, um, but she's plus size and she was their social media person. And what I loved about Navarbi is that they actually used Plus size women in their ad campaigns, as opposed to the fast fashion where they'll have a plus size brand, but they're using size 12 models for their plus size brand. And there's no photo where it goes
1: beyond size 16. It's just like, no. it's just like you're clicking on it'll be like size, you know, 22 and the mm-hmm. photo is still of a size eight model. Yeah. Like when I've been shopping lately, I've been literally noticing that yesterday when I was shopping for Glastonbury outfits. I was like, how is anyone meant to know
2: what this would look like
1: potentially on their body if they're a plus size person?
2: exactly it's ridiculous and so you know with bethany because she was plus size she knew what she wanted to see so yeah nearly exclusively all the models were like a size 24 size 26 25. and it was so refreshing and it's just like this is what we need to see we need to have plus size people behind the realm i'm always i am shameless when it comes to like self-promotion like i'm one of those ones where i'm I like look that. i i want to be a contributing editor for a big magazine whether it's harper's whether it's yeah. vogue Elle, will in be. style i hope so i really do because i think it's about time that we have plus size people mm-hmm. um, being at the helm of like fashion editing mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. um, because even within the fashion world like plus size fashion is worth nine billion pounds Mm -hmm. um at the moment and it's a huge market but all of the writers are slim and thin and I just think there needs to be more plus size um writers there needs to be just more diversity behind the scenes because only then can we then see the diversity in front of the scenes because as a person behind the scenes with the power, you want to be able to see yourself represented on screen or within pages of a magazine. So naturally, you're going to be quite diverse in who you're looking for. Um, and so, yeah, it's all just, yeah, de- decolonizing the, the structures that are in place, uh, that have been in place for hundreds of years. It just kind of needs to be all, all broken down. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and that leads really well into one of my final questions. As a prominent figure in the plus-size fashion community, how do you see the industry evolving in terms of inclusivity and representation? So I know you spoke about having more diversity behind the scenes so that that projects to what we see in everyday life, but what other changes would you like to see in the near
2: future? What would I like to see? I think collaboration between... Mm -hmm. Because it's very common now in, in the industry to see collaborations, especially when it comes to things like fashion and beauty and, Mm. you know, all of these things between creators and the brands. Um, I still think that there's quite a lot more that could be done within that arena i think it's important Mm -hmm. for especially when it comes to fashion and things like that because with fashion it's so closely tied to confidence Mm -hmm. and how we express ourselves and how we want the world to see us Mm -hmm. i think that's such a strong connection and so i think you know there was a time where brands were collaborating with plus size influencers on Mm -hmm. um Clothing um, collections and things like that. But not only are, is it not happening as much, but what mm. we're seeing is that they're only now using people that are a lot smaller, mm. um, which is really, really annoying. And so I think to kind of have that collaboration between creatives or creatives of different backgrounds and different abilities with brands, I think could be really, really powerful. Um, I would like for us to. I'm not really sure. Do you know what? I'm trying to, I'm trying to choose my words carefully because I don't want to come across as like this bitter old fart. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I would like for there to be conversations around the mid-sized community, Mm -hmm. how that came about and how it's kind of piggybacked off of the work of plus size um, advocates. I think that's an important conversation to have. I think, yeah. you know, and I've said this quite a few times on my on my channels and with the midsize community and how that kind of really gained prominence during lockdown and the pandemic because you had people that were suddenly putting on weight because they were at home and so they needed new fashion inspiration and you know they needed to turn to people for confidence and things like that. So, you know, you had a lot of people who were like a size 12 between a size 12 to 16 suddenly coming out of nowhere and talking about how to dress for your new body and and all of that kind of stuff which is great but it's become a thing where it's kind of taken over the what was supposed to be the body positive community Um, and I think a lot of people now feel a bit ostracized or they don't feel represented by the community anymore because what that community does is it reinforces the fact that it kind of just reinforces or revalidates that there's only one way to be curvy, which is flat hourglass shaped, you know, big bum, conventionally Mm -hmm. pretty. I think it still leaves out um, the larger or like larger plus size people in the community. Um, That's why I've always been a bit like, I just feel like body positivity is just repackaged midsize movement because it, it tends Mm -hmm. to just focus on a conventional fat or a, a pretty fat. Or an mm-hmm. acceptable fat. Um, and so I think it's important to kind of have these conversations about privileged bodies and what privilege means to us as well. Because I think people can become quite offended if if they are mid-sized and somebody bigger than them says you're you'll live in a privileged body. I think the first instance would be quite defensive because it's like, well, you know, I'm a size 16 and I've gone through stuff too, which is absolutely valid, of course. Like, um, Nobody is able to or nobody should tell somebody that they haven't gone through something because they're smaller. But I think when it comes to like the levels of fat phobia and the levels of harassment and abuse and structural and systemic fat phobia and abuse, that there unfortunately there is kind of a hierarchy when it comes to that. And the bigger you are, the more you're likely to experience those kinds of things. And so I think it's important to kind of have these conversations and conversations with brands about what it means to be or to promote plus sizes as well. So if you're making clothing that goes up to a size 28, I also want to see size 28 models. Um, you know, I want to see size actual like big people wearing the clothing because I'm not going to buy a dress worn on someone that's a size 12 that has no love handles, no bingo wings, no, you know, they're just perfectly hourglass shaped because that dress is not going to look like that on me. And I would rather see it on someone who has a similar body shape to mine. Um, So having conversations with brands about just having a lot more inclusivity um, within their campaigns. I would like to see more fat people in the media whose characterizations do not resolve around or revolve around trauma and fat phobia. I would like to see happy people, successful people, people in love in great relationships who aren't the subject of, 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 comedy or, you know, Oh, poor, fat, stupid person. You know, I want to be able to see more roles in, in the community, um, more characters, more, you know, plus-size people on TV actually living their best lives as opposed to always being on tv talking like you know fretting about their weight or being made fun of or you know being the the bumbling character kind of thing like it would be nice to kind of have that representation
1: yeah oh this has been such an amazing chat and you've given so much actionable advice which is always really important especially for people who are listening along and maybe they're just learning about this sort of thing it's just been absolutely amazing and thank you so much for for joining me Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was
2: really fun. Thank you. Really fun.
1: Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Steph. Please let me know on any of my socials if you've got any stories or thoughts of your own to share. Peace.